0: Hey, greetings! Welcome to another episode of the Business of Agriculture. It's me, Damian Mason. Got a great show for you today because I got a great guest. In fact, he's the sponsor of this podcast. His name is Nick Horub. You've heard me talk about him now all year. He's uh, the founder of Harvest Profit. Harvest Profit is a software solution for your agricultural enterprise. You've got inputs, you've got outputs, you've got farms to manage. You have so much stuff going on in agriculture. You need a software solution that is right there for you. You know, it's beyond It's beyond a piece of pioneer seed corn uh, notepad in the glove box of the truck, okay? That's why you need a software solution that works as hard as you do. Software from Harvest Profit, go to harvestprofit.com and try it out for 14 days for free. Okay, Nick, thanks for being on here. Before we get into that, we're gonna set up the show for all of our lovely listeners. We're gonna talk about some things that this guy sees as an ag innovator, as an ag tech person. We're gonna talk about where ag is going, what product he created, what new products we're gonna see because we know that we are an industry that always adapts and adjusts using new technology. Uh, Also some of the problems that we've seen You know, agriculture, it's uh, it's been a year that we got a lot of money thrown at us. What's going to happen next year? And what can we do on our side from a farming operation standpoint uh, to get through the bumps? Those are the things we're going to be discussing and more with a brilliant agricultural entrepreneur, Nick Horb. Thank you for being here, Nick. Thank you. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, I appreciate you being a sponsor for the show, but also I think that one thing, the reason people tune into the business of agriculture is we don't just talk about corn prices and put up, uh, you know, charts of, uh, uh, you know, wheat deliveries to the Pacific Rim. We're talking about the business of agriculture and you started a company five years ago that you said, I see a need. The need you saw then and what you see now, let's start with that. So, most farmers in the u.s do cash basis accounting and
1: there's a lot of in in canada it's a lot more accrual accounting but what tends to happen in the u.s is if you think about any given crop year farmers buy some inputs the year before they raise the crop the year that they raise the crop they buy more inputs more seed fertilizer chemical then they sell some of the crop they grow and then the next year they typically have some more crop that they sell. So you have three separate years of financial transactions that feed into one crop year. And the end of the year time, if you know anything about farmers, there's, you get to the end of the year and they caught, they get hold of their tax guy and they say, what do I need to do? And it's either buy more things before the calendar year or push off revenue to the next year. So trying to, trying to massage their tax liability. And so that, gives them very little visibility into what's making them money and what's costing them money. You know, their ta- their their tax statements have almost no correlation to to what's actually going on on a crop year basis. And so Harvest Profit, we're really focused on giving that crop year visibility into cost of production, profitability and then doing it on a making it easy to view what crops are making me money, what fields are making money. So we take it down to the field level and just to give the farmer, you know, more visibility into those different levels, the levers that you pull. So your, your inputs, your rental rates, your grain marketing, uh, just to kind of split out those levers and then allow them to do what if analysis on, you know, what if I push my grain marketing forward? Or what if I add a new farm or let a farm go? And so we're trying to really give more visibility, leads to more confident decision making, which I think leads to more profitable farm.
0: Okay, so you said a lot there, and I always uh, bear in mind that the business of agriculture, is listened to by the way and also watched if you are a listener i thank you but you should also watch because all this year of 2020 because you're more at home or more in front of your screen we're told according to the media we're all in this together you have time to watch this and it's been a video recording so you can watch nick and me talk about this go to my youtube channel damien mason channel go to youtube Damian mason channel and just subscribe there and you'll see the playlist for business of agriculture okay a lot of these people that are listening and watching might not even run their own business and they're like what the heck i, I don't want to sound dumb because we always educate here what's the difference between cash basis accounting and accrual basis accounting i just talked about this this morning at the gym yep. because a friend of mine said hey uh what's going on in ag i own john Deere stock, and i said yeah you're gonna be fine he says are they gonna keep selling equipment i said between now and December 31st, they're gonna sell a boatload of equipment. He says, why? I said, because commodity prices climbed about 20% since July. And we also threw $51 billion of federal money at the farm sector. So that means they're gonna have money to get rid of through cash accounting. And he says, so I explained it to him just this morning, tell our listeners yep. the difference and why this matters. Cause that's really the basis of what you're talking about your product you saw a need five years ago and said some of these farm operations, particularly, uh, you know, mid to bigger sized ones, they know whether they made money that year or not, but they don't even know if it was because of that year's decisions. Am I right? Yes. Oh, exactly. Yep. So an example
1: would be, you know, let's say you have a business and you have you, uh, you pay in July, you write a check for $6,000 of property and casualty insurance. And so then if you look at your financial statements, you know, from January to December, you see your expenses in July went up. So you look at July and you, you think, oh, my profitability is, uh, my profitability was, why is my profit lower in July? Well, according to accrual accounting, you would take that rather than just having that expense fully burdening the month of July, you would take it and split it $500 a month throughout the whole calendar year. And the same thing with revenue, like in in Harvest Profits business, um, just for simplicity, we have some customers that pay us $1,500 a year. Um, Cash accounting records $1,500 in the month that you receive it. Accrual accounting takes $125 a month and spreads it out over the entire year. So when you're looking at monthly or quarterly financials, um, it's lining up really when the expenses and their revenue are actually occurring Uh, regardless of when the cash changes hands. And so it's a better methodology for, truly analyzing the financial performance of your business.
0: So to answer, so again, maybe our listener is, uh, in ag, but doesn't run their own business. So they work for a, a corporation and they're like, I, I never really understood all that. And the reason then that a farming operation, because they have vast numbers, so, you know, I mean, I know people that are, they don't look like big farmers, but they're like, yeah, I sold a million, uh, a million and a half dollars with a crop, uh, this year. Um, if they look like they're fat, meaning they look like they are gonna have too much revenue against expenses, they're gonna pay a lot of taxes and farm people do not like to pay taxes, then about uh, New Year's Eve, they'll be at the equipment dealership saying, I'm gonna buy that piece of machinery and get $250,000 off of my uh, books. That's the issue of cash accounting. A little business like mine does cash accounting, meaning it's not just advertising July, as Nick explained, it's really your years. Meaning that whatever happens between Jan one and December 31 happens in that year. So that's what he's talking about. So he's talking about helping an operation, look at what happened not only July of this year, but July of last year and July of next year, and then making the best decision possible. That's what we're talking about, right? Correct. Yep. Exactly. All right. So you, you fixed a problem when you came up, harvest profit, you said, I want uh, to help these ag enterprises make more profit. And they're going to begin with their accounting, but it's not just accounting. Yours is not just an accounting software that their CPA could give them. It's more than that. Tell me about
1: it. Yeah. So if you think about a tool like QuickBooks, that'd be financial accounting software. And then if you look at, well, we'd be considered managerial accounting. So it's just not for, Debits and credits. It's um, mm-hmm. it allows you to view your financials on the same level that you can make your man- your management decisions. And so uh, you can do just you can do what if analysis. It pulls in your grain contracts. It pulls in the futures prices. So it says, you know, regardless of what cash tr- has changed hands in my business, like where is my profitability at today? So for for example a lot of our customers have set up their 2021 crop budget. And so they're looking at, all right, if I harvested my 2021 crop today, what is my best estimate as of things sit right now at where my profitability is? So, um, you know, they can look at the rally we've had in commodity prices and say, all right, objectively, you know, if I have out of my 14 fields on my farm, maybe there's three of them I can switch the crop on does it make sense to plan to push those to one crop versus another crop and that forward looking visibility is something that just doesn't exist in accounting software you know traditional accounting is all backwards looking mm-hmm. but you know if you're driving a car just looking in the rearview mirror you know bad things are going to happen and so the, you know a similar but a lot less dangerous analogy can be made to the business you need to you need to be looking out the rearview mirror just as often, or you know, more often than looking in the rearview mirror, because you can actually change the future.
0: So, or at least adjust for it. You can't change it; you can adjust for it. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, in agriculture, your your company serves agriculture, particularly production agriculture. Changes you see in a foot, or changes you've seen just in the last five years since you started your company. What what thing would I not maybe see, or maybe you and I see that maybe somebody in our audience might be like, ah, oh, ah. Huh. What would you say?
1: I would say there's a lot. I see a lot more effort from farms to you know, to improve what they have versus you know just going. You know, it's it's an ultra competitive environment for buying land for renting land, and so a lot of people are looking at um, you know what land improvements can I make? You know, drain tile. What you know, looking at potentially. Uh, implementing cover crops into the farm, um, you know, as the as mono, you know, monocropping, whether it's, you know, corn or or wheat, you know, I think more diverse rotations are, you know, just becoming the the expected. And and with a diverse rotation comes a willingness to look at specialty crops that, you know, particularly where my where I come from in western North Dakota um, pulse crops, so lentils and chickpeas and feed peas, um, things that are arguably, um, you know, that have less commercial fertilizer that are good for the rotation. So I, I think there's a lot of focus on, you know, how can we improve the farm that isn't just, you know, going out and acquiring more land or renting more land or, or maximizing production. I definitely see, um, a lot of effort and a growing trend in, uh, in focusing on improving what the farmers have
0: yeah i I do i i don't see it as quickly as i actually would like as a conservation oriented soils guy uh, we give some talk to soil health but i can still see a lot of excess tillage uh, that i i I deem to be unnecessary i still see a lot of fall tillage of land that is going to have an erosion problem Uh, i see some of those as well now i have predicted that under the next administration and I'm not getting political. I'm just telling you, these things have already been proposed and, and discussed. There's going to be more either regulation. Is it going to be carrot or is it going to be stick on some of the conservation things we're going to be made to do in agriculture? Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: One of the bigger trends in, uh, in agriculture and investment and, and ag tech is the whole carbon. Like how can we, how can we help farmers monetize their conservation efforts through carbon but if you actually, so there's just tons of money that's flowed into it, lots of press releases. But if you look at it, like how many farms have actually received a check, it's tiny. I would say you could probably like the farms that have actually received a, a five figure check, you can probably count on two hands. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's 500,000 farmers in North America. And, uh, and so there's gonna be more of that, more talk on the carbon, um, and there's going to be political tailwinds to that discussion and you know but but at the end of the day it's a really messy game you know if you're if I'm a no-till farmer who really values soil conservation i've already you know i've already done my fair share of carbon sequestration so i can't benefit from that like yeah. well, how how unjust is uh, how unjust is that but so it's just a, a lot of talk but trying to trying to really tie the economics of it to the benefit. And I have some thoughts that we can talk about on, on, on stuff we're working on there, but that's really, um,
0: I want to hear what thoughts you have. And I also want to, uh, I, for sure, I want to hear about that then moving forward. By the way, you said 500,000 farmers in America, technically there's 3.2 million farmers on 2 million farms. I think you were talking about farmers of a scale or farmers of a level that are doing the work. Uh, do you have a, a, you want to put a qualifying asterisk on that?
1: I'm pretty confident that there's approximately 150,000 full-time farms in the U S and Canada. And so if you just say there's, you know, three times that, that receive a a material amount of income. um, And then there's just lots and lots of, uh, of just, you know, really small, you know, they have a a couple cows or they, you know, they share crop a 20 acre field, things like
0: that. That's uh, in my, Book Food Fear, which you'll notice, I pulled a Where's Waldo kind of a thing. I've got my book in the background here of this shot, Food Fear. I talk about farming and farmers in uh, one of those sections, and I give the real scoop on that, and 105,453 farms in the United States of America produce 75% of all the crop revenues. What Nick is talking about is if you were out here trying to sell a product in the business of agriculture, there's probably going to be far less than the 2 million farms that you would actually target as your customer because unless you're a TSC and you're selling birdseed, there's a bunch of them that just aren't gonna be able to be much value to you as a big dollar customer. Nick. You're gonna to talk to me about what things you're seeing in terms of some of that farm stuff. If you think that's the biggest change on farm is some of the uh, maximization of acres and um, uh, utilization of the resource better, I wanna get into that. Before I do, a couple of things. I want to remind you that I'm talking to Nick Horeb. You can follow him on LinkedIn. He writes good articles. You can go to harvestprofit.com. That's a company he founded. He's got good articles there that you can read. They're short. They're also smart. They're about the business of ag observations he has on maximizing your business. You can go to harvestprofit.com if you want to learn more about the products that you can use, his software that could help your farming enterprise. I also want to remind you that we're heading into the holiday season and not to piss off Santa. I'm holding real milk in my hand right now. Why am I holding real milk? Because the Georgia Agriculture Commodity Commission for Milk is now working with me on a contractual arrangement to help them promote their wonderful product, cow's milk. None of that oat juice, none of that nut juice that's infused with sugar, real milk. If you leave a box of oat squeezins under the Christmas tree, you're going to piss off Santa. Don't do that. Drink milk. Have a little milk break with me right now. All right. Some, some, real, some real cream in my coffee. So I appreciate that. And so do the dairy farmers of America. Drink milk, the real stuff. And don't miss off Santa. Okay. Talk to me about the stuff you're working on at the farm level because of these changes you see.
1: So if you drive around farm country, and I know a lot of people might not drive around farm country, um, specifically in my, well, all over the farm country, oftentimes the edges of fields are, are, I don't know, 50% of the productivity of the rest of the field. And so, you know, currently in harvest profit, we look at things on a field level. So we get down to what's the profitability per field, but what I'm really passionate about and, and, you know, some recent developments in our company might um, enable more of this going forward, but something as simple as identifying, on a large scale, what percentage of your farm or even multiple farms aren't even able to cover their variable costs? So if you can't, if your crop revenue can't even pay for the seed, fertilizer, and chemical, you know that's when that's when factories shut down. Like if you, you know that if you have a negative gross margin, that's when you turn off those. You know, if you think about the fee, you know, every field is a manufacturing plant, and even you know every square inch is a manufacturing facility if you can identify the areas of the field that aren't even covering their variable costs over the long term so doing subfield spatial level profit analysis to me that is that is where you just naturally tie in conservation and uh, and the economics so
0: I am definitely excited about that. So one thing that you're basically saying is, cause we talked about this in a in a previous episode of the business of agriculture about if you were, uh, and the guy used the episode, uh, the example of dairy, since obviously I'm, I'm a dairy background guy and yep. I work with dairy people and we were ahead of the curve, especially in dairy. They had a thing called the dairy herd improvement association What the dairy herd improvement association used to do was come to your dairy farm before all the computerization, before they had chips on cows and, you know, bracelets on their, uh, you know, uh, uh, cannon bones and whatnot you said count number 137-5 is not producing she's not getting bread she's not producing she's inefficient whatever let's make her into burger the truth is what you're saying is there are edges of fields that should be made into burger because they're not even producing enough to cover the variable cost. And a rule that they taught me in agricultural economics is, you produce as long as you're covering your variable cost. But when yes. you now are not only covering, not covering your variable cost, that means you're cutting into also your, it's, it's a fixed cost.
1: Am I right? Yep, exactly. You know, oftentimes you'll hear businesses and in other industries that, you know, one that gets talked about, well, any commodity business and, and one that kind of hits home for the people that listen to this or for me is you know, like the ethanol industry. The ethanol industry has times of high profitability, times of low profitability. But how often have we ever seen ethanol plants eth- the eth- ethanol industry turn off plants? It's happened very little, you know, up until you know in recent times we actually saw it happen. And it's because you know you might be burning cash, but if you have a if you make more money running the plant than you would by shutting the plant off. It's because you have a positive gross margin. So the, I think the same thing can be, can be applied to farms and um, just thinking bigger picture about it. Farmers are inundated with agronomic data, but tying that agronomic data to financial data to give, not just yield insights, but to give economic insights is really what's you know, kind of driving me and our business going forward on marrying those two together
0: talk about um at the ag level and you're a business guy so beyond just farms what business not mistakes uh but what what business things are they doing that you're like here's where i now know because of running my own business for five years because of my background in private equity the different things you've done in your 37 years of life and and uh learned what things are ag people doing anybody whether it's the co-op down the road or the Equipment dealer or the farmer. What do you see? You see all kinds of stuff What do you see mistakes? They make opportunities missed. Just give me some of your. So thoughts. One of the big mistakes
1: is something you alluded to there's a hundred thousand farmers in Canada that make you in, in in the US, you know, maybe another twenty five thousand in Canada that Operate real, you know, these are their businesses out of those 125 hundred fifty thousand how many of them are open to making a material sized expenditure on something new? Like, you know, an early adopter, right? It It is small, like at the end of the day, the market as a percent of how many businesses, you know, the revenue is still big, but how many businesses are there that are gonna be open to buying a new treatment, a new piece of tech? It is quite small, and so, i see these companies raising a bunch of venture ca- raising tons of money staffing up huge and then realizing that wow this market is a little bit smaller than what we thought and that's a a huge mistake we see and you know another mistake that i've seen is farming is the definition of a multivariate problem you know, you have you have all of these variables playing into a crop yield for instance you know the timing of rain the the specific, you know, if you get point, you know, if you get seventy-five hundredths, you know, three quarters of an inch rain, or one and a half inches rain, that could be a huge difference in the the, the final outcome for the crop. And so, one thing where I think a lot of people has made mistakes is let's use AI, let's use big data to tell the farmer how to grow a crop and what works in a test farm in Iowa completely falls apart if you go to Kansas or Ohio or Indiana or North Dakota. And so that black box, let's, you know, we're gonna give the farmer a magical prescription for how to farm. Uh, There's a lot of work left to be done before that becomes effective. So market size and not realizing that farming is a very, very, very complex problem. If you have 37 variables that all spit into a final equation, it is almost impossible to solve that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, granted, uh, I'm not a scientist, but I have taken science classes and they talk a great length about you get everything controlled and then vary one thing. Then you can gauge the outcome of that one thing, right? That's, that's yep. the idea It's like we're going to control these 14 different things and vary the 15th thing and yep. then we decide which variable on that 15th thing mattered. As you said, now we've just done the thing. And I granted, there's a, f- a seed plot down the road from me, let's say, and they're like, okay, exact same field. Nothing. I'm like, yeah, I get that. But now yeah. let's put that up to scale um, yeah. because I've yet to see a seed plot where there was this brand of seed next to this one, this one, where the seed company didn't tout it was really, really good, right? Yeah. So <clears throat> you 70 some variables. Did you saw was that was that the problem you saw when you said I want to help them, or that's just something you see now, and you're wondering if that's something else you could help with?
1: I just the problem that I saw was farmers were just doing the same thing that they've done, and you know the results are the results, and there it's easy to get paralyzed by the fact that the the future is uncertain. But just because the future is uncertain, that doesn't mean that we can't make proactive, objective decisions today that, you know, increase the likelihood of us making money going forward. Um, You know, know, with this recent rally we've had in commodity prices, you know, a lot of farmers were praying for, you know, they had $3.50 corn on their balance sheet. They were praying for $4 corn. If you would have asked them three months ago, what you would think of $4 cash corn today, they would all be ecstatic. But how many of them are, once it actually happens, biases come into play. And I'm a pretty big, I'm a huge believer in all these, you and I and everybody falls victim to just one of a hundred different biases out there. And and knowing your numbers helps to minimize that impact. And so that's really, um, I think that if you can make numbers based objective decisions that it, it, minimizes the chance of that bias really throwing you a throwing you down a path of just a rampant speculation that's going to blow up your farm
0: god if i could ever get to four dollars if we could ever get to four dollars if we could you know what i'd sell everything if i ever got to four dollars and i would just be just dancing in the barnyard oh wait it's four (laughs) dollars and 25 cents you still got stuff you haven't sold well it might go higher i'm like you just said four and a half months ago that if and by yeah is that what you're talking about So I,
1: a a quick story. I knew a farmer who went to visit his dad in the nursing home in the the summer of 2013. He told his dad, uh, and his dad wasn't doing very well. He said, dad, yeah, corn, guess what? Corn is $7 cash today. And the dad looked up from the bed and said, do you have any left to sell? And the son said, yeah, I do actually. And the dad said, what the hell were you thinking when corn got to $6? (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's just like that situation just plays out a lot. Yeah, that that roller coaster of emotions, and it doesn't only impact farmers. Farmers tend, to, I think, it may be a bad, uh, an overly judgmental view of how they make those decisions. But if you look at when do people buy and sell stocks in their retirement portfolio,
0: they buy it, when it's high and they sell when it's low. Yeah, yeah.
1: So it's just something we're all like the it, those biases are hard to navigate, um, but being just a little bit better than average is
0: uh, is interesting. So you are a small biz person or big biz person, depending on your definition of small or big businesses, but you run your own business. Um, you've made mistakes and also, you like me have had business. It's, you've had highs, you've had lows. You you have some variability. You know, June might look different than December might look different than March. Whatever. What have you learned? I've How learned understanding so your biases the, is one of the lessons I just yeah, heard.
1: Yeah, one of the bigger lessons that I've learned is it's easy. Like I love spreadsheets and it's really easy to craft a business in a spreadsheet, you know, well, that doesn't look great. So well, we'll just add another few hundred customers. Well, actually getting those few hundred customers is pretty hard. And so I started de-emphasizing the results and started over emphasizing the actions that tend to lead to those results. So for our business in particular, if I can produce content that people find interesting, so sending out email newsletters and making blog posts and making videos that has a positive correlation with our business. Those are easy things for me to do. I can do those. But if my goal is to get 30 more customers this month, we don't have a direct, specifically, we don't have a direct sales model. So that's not easy to do. But so I've really started to emphasize focus on the things that are highly correlated with better results and focus less on the results themselves. And that was, if you look at our, if you looked at our business, we, we had a growth period and then we had a a flattening. And then during that flattening, I started focusing on a lot. Like I just got to produce more content. Let's make our free trial easier. Let's make the software better. And by removing the emphasis on the results that led to a big increase in our business
0: you've got five employees uh, you're looking at now being acquired uh, which is great for, for your business I've got uh, my wife and I and some contractual arrangements uh, I've been piloting my own ship for 26 years so we have a different sort of business and a di- certainly different business model but what you just said is something that I've always um, I guess known and I finally wrote an article about it a year ago Nick because I had somebody call me up and say I started my own business and I read your books and all that. So, you know, I, 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 I really invest in this. I don't know where to focus my time. I said, use the Rocky method. Rocky meaning here's the first priority. Revenue is always been, if you don't have revenue, you have no business. Number two, yeah, out, yeah. outreach. Number two, I said revenue and outreach are the two thing. What's outreach mean? getting more people that could give you revenue. Revenue, (laughs) whatever makes you revenue, number one. Number two, outreach to get more things that make you revenue. Three, three, creativity, the creative stuff that you do, creating more product, creating more articles that bring in people that will help you with the outreach, Uh, creating more ways to serve the clients. K of the Rocky was knowledge because this world don't sit still and you shouldn't either. And then why was you? And they're like, what? I said, you're going to be exhausted. Give some time to you, go meet your buddies for beers, have a card game, uh, sit with your wife, uh, (laughs) go for a walk with your dogs. So I always think that that's kind of the thing. And what you just said there was you concentrated on revenue and you're trying to concentrate on getting people that can pay your revenue and then create and then creating. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, And
1: you got to just the fundamentals of business, you know, you, every so often you see, you know, somebody start a free product and they, they just naturally think the revenue is going to come free can be powerful. Um, if you have a, a logical way to turn on the, you know, to turn on the dial for pricing. Um, but really it's just, yeah, you know, you need to have something that people are willing to buy, like have a product or a service that people are willing to buy. And then, you know, get more people into that funnel. So more prospects into that funnel. And I met with somebody, this is a few years ago now, and they really liked the blogging that we were doing. And I said, well, you should start a blog today. What's preventing you? And they were saying, well, we're, we're putting a plan in place. And I said, well, if you can't sit down for half an hour and write something that's a few hundred words long, that's interesting to your target market, then you probably shouldn't be in this industry. Like, that's been in today's era, what you're doing, uh, content getting in front of people, being somebody who's interesting. Like that is such a powerful tailwind in building a business today that I, I think a lot of people get, I don't know, they're scared of it. It's, it, it's kind of intimidating. I'm actually, a, I'm actually an introvert, but for me, like if I wouldn't have embraced content and, and putting myself out there, yeah, I would not be
0: here today. So, you, you're an introvert. Uh, I'm actually an introvert. My wife tells people that and they're like, oh God, he's got a background in comedy and he, he does podcasts. He's been in movies. He, he gets on stage and talks. She's like, yeah, but you know what? He goes and hides in the hotel room and orders room service and sits on his laptop after he's done doing that. And he doesn't say one word to any person on an airplane ever. And, she, and people are like, oh, I can't believe that. That is hard to believe. We, some, we sometimes have to uh, be a different character for our business than we really are when we're out um, uh, walking with our dogs in the woods. You know, you do a, you do a really good job of looking forward. And, um, and by the way, you're right. And anybody listening to this, uh, what Nick just said, if it's your business, something that I do, and obviously people keep up with my stuff. They see what I'm putting out there in terms of commentary and all that. I've also never been bashful about putting it out there, or even offering, um, uh, you know, a bit of free help, Um, Mm -hmm. because you said free isn't only powerful. I I won't charge you for my services, but when then someone says, "Hey, I've got this um, this group," um, what do you think? It's been a half an hour with them because then that's how I get clients where I say, I think you need to do this. Or I think, well, we've got nine people, new salespeople, they don't know this. And so I'll say, let's have a call. Let me see if I can be the solution for you. So I've done some of that on a consult, consultative business uh, arrangement. You do a really good job of looking out. What do you see? I,
1: I see that we're going to, more and more farms are going to take a, you know, a, the, the business minded approach to farming. Um, I think there's more emphasis on treating the business, treating a farm, like it's a manufacturing plant. Um, I think in, you know, just the industry in general, um, if you look at a, if you look at charts of ag tech investment versus ag tech, you know, exits, Um, there's a disconnect there. I think people are going to realize that, you know, monetizing the relationship with the farmer is much harder than what they think. And so I think industry, you know, bigger established brands in agriculture are going to, you know, start to understand that, you know, we need to become best of breed technology companies and not just, you know, seed companies, um, you know, a competitor to us, somewhat of a competitor, you know, it's, and it's kind of a controversial brand, but Beck's hybrids seed company out in, in your part of the world, you'll know, they've invested a lot of money in technology and I'm hearing good feedback from farmers on that. Um, you know, we can talk about it. Maybe, maybe it's even probably uh, another episode, but harvest profit, my company was acquired by John Deere recently. And so they're realizing that we need to be an end to end technology solution. And so I think, um taking the you know taking what's happening in the field and turning it into a conduit for business intelligence and allowing farms to have more visibility into the uh the number side of the farm is is really what's going to turn it from a a reactive industry into one that's more proactive and that might be you know eliminating the unproductive areas of the field seeking out crops that you know, have alternative markets, you know, carbon, but uh, big picture. There's a lot of, there's been a lot of funny money thrown into ag that's going to get flushed out here real quick. Um, And at the end of the day, people that can truly help farmers become better at managing the manufacturing business they have are going to bubble up to the
0: top. And, uh,
1: and I think there's going to be a fair amount less
0: fluff in the industry going forward. Fair amount less fluff. Also, I see what you're talking about, and it follows in with my prediction. There's going to be consolidation continually happening at the large scale. You call farms as manufacturing facilities. Our detractors call those factory farms or industrial agriculture. But the reality is that's what is happening, and uh, it's like trying to say, Uh, you know, we're not going to have Toyota. So we're going to have farms that are Toyota and we're going to have also then a proliferation of the smaller niche stuff because um, uh, there there still is the uh, demand for that among the foodie crowd. So I think there's going to be a divergent split. Now the next question is, are you going to have something to offer the person that says I have uh, 80 acres of uh, organically raised uh, kosher uh, kumquats? Are you going to have something for them, Nick? We've we have a flat price, but for smaller
1: operations, we 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 do a business worst practice. We have a variable price that maxes out. Most businesses have a minimum that has a variable price that goes up forever. Uh, our whole game is we want to we want to let anybody in the door to help better tracking their numbers and going back to what you said about you know factory farms. Um, I know of two specific examples that are areas that I drive by quite often. One of them on one side of the road is a, you know, is a small mom-pop farm. The other side of the road is one of the biggest farms in the country. This fall, the biggest farm in the country had their light sandy ground all planted to a cover crop. The other one was deep tilled, ready for wind you know it's going to erode in the wind it's going to erode in the rain and i've that you know two miles down the road it's another prime example of that and so um yeah factory farming you know factory farming gets a bad name but at the end of the day it's almost all family farms who have a direct financial incentive and who mostly care about the environment you know act you know obviously um you know, people are going to – everybody's trying to maximize, maximize their economic outcome, but I do think the, the, the factory farm mentality gets a bad rap.
0: Well, that's, that happens in the suburbs of America, like where I live half the year because they don't know any better, but the reality is uh, – yeah, you're talking about practices and you're talking about uh, protocols. And a lot of times, larger scale people actually do have a better job of practices because they, they have the system in place. Closing thoughts from my man, Nick Horeb of Harvest Profit, who also is the sponsor of this podcast in case you forgot between the beginning and the end. HarvestProfit.com is where you can go and check out their products. Also read Nick's blog articles. They're good, as he said. Sit down for 30 minutes, crank out 300 words. It's short, it's smart, and it might help your business closing thoughts
1: yeah you know at the end of the day i'm i'm super passionate about whether it's helping farmers i i do like sharing how we've built our business on just putting you know putting valuable content out there and i think if you you know whether you're a farm or whether you're in business if you can understand just a little bit of this modern marketing like what damien's doing is you know your podcast obviously generates a little bit of revenue but it's to build up your other businesses and build up your brand. The same thing can be applied to any business. The same thing can be applied to a farm. And then, you know, you'll go nowhere if you don't understand the numbers side of your business. And so this this mix of, you know, in farming, it's more of a mix of being good at producing a crop and being a good financial manager. In other businesses, I would say it's more of, you know, being good at marketing and being good at the numbers. And I think, those, you know, in any industry, like find that combination, find that magical combination and focus on, you know, improving your weak spots in each one of those niches. And so if a farm's great on the production side and they're terrible on the number side, a tool like Harvest Profit is great. Um, you know, if you're in another business and you're great on the marketing, but you're not great on the numbers, hire a CFO or hire, <laughs> hire a controller. So, A chain at the end of the day, I'll say a chain is as strong as its weakest link. And so, um, you know, myself out there, I know I have a couple of weak links that I'm trying to fix and I, you know, new ones are getting weak. And I think anybody, if anybody can take that mentality to their business, fix the weak links, focus on your strengths. I think it's a recipe for success, no matter what you do.
0: His name's Nick Horb. You can follow him. He's on uh, Twitter, Nick Horb. He's on LinkedIn. And also you can keep uh, keep an eye on his company, Harvest Profit. We hope you got ideas that you can utilize and thoughts. Uh, By the way, that article I wrote about the Rocky method for time management for your business, I think it's a valuable one. So while you're checking out Nick's stuff, over at harvestproper.com and figuring out if it's a software solution you can use. You can also go to DamienMason.com where you can find all my podcasts. You can also find the articles that I write, like the one about managing your time using the Rocky method, which Nick and I both agree. Concentrate on revenue and outreach first, because if you don't have customers or revenue, you ain't got no business. (laughs) Yeah. Agreed. Thanks, Damien. Thanks for being here, Nick. Till next time, a toast with milk. And uh, (laughs) thank you. Till next time, it's the business of agriculture.
1: If you've enjoyed this episode of The Business of Agriculture, please share it with your network. Be sure to connect with Damien on LinkedIn, like his Facebook fan page, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damien's books, Food Fear, or Do Business Better, go to DamienMason.com.